Um, but all, all that is to say is that uh, in the end, when uh, I would come before my mother and uh, when I would, uh, you know, be in trouble and she'd say, you know, what, what were you thinking? You know, what were you doing? I said, well, you know, everybody was doing it, you know. And uh, I learned in a very hard way that uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, you knew it was the right thing to do. And she, she would say to me almost every single time, she would say, you know, if they all jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, are you going to jump off too? And obviously the answer is no. But she wanted me to know that do the right thing, doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. And um, how many of you can say that you followed the crowd at one time or another and you did something, you got in trouble for it, even if it was like following a sister or a brother? You know, we've all done it, and at least thank God because I thought I was the only one, and you guys have now confirmed that you guys are all sinners and that we do need a Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So thank you for, uh, for doing that. You know, tonight we're going to look at a nation who is persuaded to distrust and disobey the promises of God through a group of men who gave a very bad report. But there's also, on the other side, there were other men that gave a good report. We're going to see tonight that as you turn to Numbers chapter 13 in your Bibles, uh, we're going to see that there were two reports. We're going to see that we have a minority report, and we're going to see that we have a majority report. And we're going to see um, tonight what happens uh, in regards to the Numbers chapter 13. So... Anyway, we're going to see tonight that disobedience towards God brings bitterness and sorrow, and that fear of man will keep us from entering into God's rest. And that's what I hope that we're going to find tonight. So um, if you'd read with me in Numbers chapter 13. Now, we're going to be reading Numbers 13 and 14 tonight. And the reason that we're doing that is I really believe that the context of what I want to share tonight is in chapter 13, but the application for what we're going to need tonight, or what we want to take home with us tonight, is in chapter 14. And they're kind of mixed together. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I really tried to shorten it, guys. So just put on your seatbelts. We've got a lot of ground to cover before we can get back home. So let's, uh, let's start. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that uh, everything, every jot, every tittle will not pass away, uh, Father. We know that your words are pure words, and that they're, uh, they're, like, uh, they're like fine silver, that is tried in a furnace of, of earth. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you that you're going to preserve your words and you're going to preserve them from this generation forever. Uh, so go before us tonight. Speak to us through your word. We do, uh, we do love it. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in Numbers chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each of the tribes of the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. And just to save us a little bit of time, uh, all of the names that you know, among them are two names that you will remember, and that's Caleb and Joshua. Um, but there are 12 tribes, there are 12 men that uh, God is calling to go and search out a land that he already had promised to their forefathers. So it says... And he gives them some instructions. He says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether, it is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are fortresses uh, there, forests there, uh, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time uh, was the season of the ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land and from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, uh, near the entrance of Hamath. 
And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Uh, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, uh, the descendants of Anak, were, um, were there. Um, now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. That must have been some uh, grape. Uh, they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and, uh, at Kadesh. They brought back word uh, to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and, it is, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks by the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the, the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are, uh, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, descendants of Anak, came from the giants. Um, they had come from the giants. And uh, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. We're going to stop there right now. And um, You know, um, Israel had been delivered from years of bondage uh, in Egypt. As a matter of fact, they, by the time this account had started, they've been in the desert by Sinai for two years. And so um, it had been a while. They had already been through some challenges and uh, really in that amount of time had actually become a strong army. You know, they, became, uh, they went from being slaves to being free men. And uh, they were acting like that. And uh, one of the things that was always their downfall, and can be our downfalls too, is that they tended to, when things got a little rough, they complain. And uh, so uh, in this, in this two years, they've, they've now gotten to the backside of Sinai. They had been camped there for a while. And um, now God is going to tell them, move. And this is where we're going to see them in chapter 13. They went from Sinai to uh, Paran. And that was right at the basis of Canaan where they were going to go in and God had promised to their forefathers years ago. And the reason I know that is if you looked in Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, it tells us that. And so um, that was why I wanted you just to know that a little bit of that context. And during the journey, the people were murmuring and complaining. God had to provide meat for them. He had to provide water. He had to provide everything that uh, they needed. Uh, and yet God had just put up with them all this time. Uh, but we're going to see that they're going to get to the end of that time, and uh, as you see in chapter 13. So we're going to see two reports tonight. We're going to see a majority report, and we're going to see a minority report, as I had said. We'll see fear of fortresses, fear of giants, and a lack of faith. We're going to see, on the other hand, that we're also going to see that there's true faith and obedience to a big God. And so that's what we're going to see the contrast of. So we find Mil uh, Moses and the children of Israel right at Paran, God gives them the orders to go on in, and I believe God did that because he said, go into the land I'm giving you, but I believe he did that because of their need to go in and do that. As a military group, 
they got to go in and spy out the land. And it's a wise thing to do. It's wise to go in and check out your enemy and what you're going to have to do. But the thing about it is they weren't going to have to fight. See, it was God that was going to be taking the fight to the people. But he says, just so that, and you know, God does that to us sometimes. We don't think the same. Like when Jesus was teaching about the sowers and the seed, you know, he had to say things, a heavenly meaning or a heavenly truth in an earthly way so that our finite minds can take it. And so he's saying, you know what, go up and take 12, go up and spy out the land, and, you know what, see what I'm going to be giving you, and then bring back some fruit. So, um, you know, I wanted to ask you before we went any farther, is God showing you what he wants you to do? Or where, he, or where you should be using your talents? You know, it may be that God first wants you to check it out too, like a college or, or if you're going to be going to uh, some sort of a trade school like DeVry or something like that. You know, I, I remember it was good when I was a kid. I had many dreams that I wanted to. I wanted to be a football player, and I, and I didn't do that. I wound up not doing that. I, I wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to, to be a marine biologist, but I didn't do that either. Um, but I checked it out, you know, and I just saw it wasn't for me. When it was a marine biologist, I just wasn't good in biology. I, I wasn't a very good student, you know. A football player, I wasn't big enough, perhaps, and I, I never really got, uh, you know, far enough to be able to find out, but I did love it. Um, but, you know, God had something more for me. So I checked it out, and uh, that's what we're, we're called to do. God is going to ask you at times to, to check it out. So if you're thinking about that, you know, is God calling you? You know, I want you to know that we're going to learn that God never will promise you anything that he's not going to help you fulfill. You know, that's a, that's a promise of God. God will never give you anything. He'll never promise you anything that he's not going to fulfill. Abraham was a great student of that. Many, many years before this time, God had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you that land, but you're going to be a sojourner in that land. You're going to travel through it. You're never going to own it, but your children are going to own it. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Is that's where they're at. God's saying, here it is, and here you are. You've been you're delivered. I've shown you many great wonders, and uh, it's your time. So... In verses 21 through 33, the 12 go up and they spy out the land, and after 40 days they come back and they return with a cluster of grapes. It was, a cluster of grapes was so big that they had to have it on a pole and they had to have two men carry it. I mean, I can only just imagine, those grapes must have been huge. Um, but what it's telling me is that the land was fertile. It was, it was wonderful. And they're not even going uh, to deny that. They're going to say it's, it's a land flowing with milk and, and, and honey. Um, but uh, they're going to give a report. There's 12 men that went up there. We're going to have 10, and we're going to have two. The majority report said the people are powerful. We saw giants. The Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, and the Canaanites live in the land. Now, the Amalekites, if you are a student of the Bible, you know that the children of Israel already had victory over them that great time when Moses and Aaron and Hur was holding him up, and, and Joshua was down there, and every time he kept his, his rod of the staff up at the mountain... Um, they were victorious, and, and whenever he got tired, uh, and, uh, that they would begin to lose. So um, Aaron and her lifted his arms up, and they actually put a rock under him, and they had a great victory. But yet, now they're saying they're kind of in our way, and, and they're acting as if they're afraid of this, this people that they have already uh, conquered. And, uh, you know, that can be like us sometimes. You know, you, you've had victory, and sometimes you come back, and you see it again, and you go, ooh, I don't know if I can do it again. And, uh, you know, that's God telling you, you know what, go walk by faith, not by sight. And God is always with you. He'll never leave you. And he's always going to be your shield and your buckler. They'd not remembered the great God who had gotten them out of Egypt. Here's the cool thing about it is that God had shown them over and over and over again that he was a mighty God, you know, 
They had forgotten that they were in bondage for 400 years and that by a mighty hand they were brought out. God parted the seas and they went through on dry land. See, they, they forgot that. They, they forgot that God brought water out of a rock and brought manna down uh, when they were hungry. They had forgotten that God, when they crumbled and they wanted some meat, it brought them meat. As they flew in, quail came in and, uh, and came in. They forgot all of that. Instead, they grumbled against God. And I want you to know, and the principle is that grumbling is an outward sign of an inward heart condition. Grumbling is an outward sign of an inward heart condition. If you find somebody who's a grumbler or a, you know, a sad sack or a sad sally or has always got something negative to say, it's usually because they've got a hardened heart. It's, it's a bad heart. And it looks like the children of Israel, although they became free men, they forgot what it took to get them there and they forgot who got them there and their hearts got hard and they just continued to grumble against this mighty God of ours. So in chapter 14, now that we've gotten some of the context, I want to go into uh, chapter 14. And I'll start to read as you know, we, I need to, and we'll just go through chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices. This is uh, what happened in the end, is that they thought they were grasshoppers in their own sight. And they really had a real self-image problem. And you know, some of us can have self-image problems too. Some of us might look at, you know, we, we, are, we are nothing or we are, we are less than nothing. It's okay to be humble, but you know what? We know that we are strong in God and that God is, is, is our defense. So in chapter 14, it shows their response now to these two reports. And it looks like they've taken the report of the majority, which is a bad report. And it says, so all the congregation lifted uh, up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us up out of this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And, you know, here's, here's the thing is that they quickly forgot about the bondage that they were in. They were slaves for 430 years. They were tormented. They were whipped. Moses was from the generation. He was saved by the edict of the Pharaoh at that time when every boy that was born was murdered at birth. Moses was protected because of his mother's faith. Because of his mother's faith. You see, they forgot of the murder, they forgot of the starvation, they forgot of the lashes, and they forgot all of that. It's amazing how quickly 430 years of bondage was swept away. And they tended to do that. Every time something up, oh, we miss our garlic and our leeks, our pots full of meat. But yet, they were in bondage. They were not there able to do anything. And, and they were actually told to, to make more bricks with, with no straw. They had to go out, and they just, it was intolerable. But yet, and you know, we tend to be like that too. It's like, you know, we, we, we get out of something that has really, really been hardened, and we look back at it kind of like, 
with, with, with a longing. Um, you know, you might say, like for me, I, I come from a, a sordid past before I came to Jesus. I was 35 years old, and I lived in the world. And, and, and I used to, when I was a new believer, I used to look back and go, oh, when I was younger, man, who boy, the things... But no, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We, you you kind of look back, but you forget. At that time, it was, it was really rotten, and it was horrible, and you kind of hated what you did, um, but you did it. And, uh, but when you look at it, as years have gone by, you look back at it almost like with longing. You know? And that's what the children of Israel were doing, is that now they're two years removed from that bondage. It's, it seems like in a short amount of time, they forgot what it felt like. Um, I guess, honey, you could probably say like in childbearing, right? It's like after the, the pain, there's the pleasure of having the child, and you kind of forget it, and you say, let's do it again. But yet that pain, I understand, and I don't want it, please, uh, is, is terrible. So, you know, uh, by, uh, what, what, what had happened to them is that they had fallen prey to their own unbelief, and it would mean defeat from their enemies and judgment from God. Uh, they would wander in the desert for 40 years, as we're going to see, and, and never enter into God's rest. You know, the principle that I'd like for you to pull from this is that fear of man and lack of fear of God will lead to disobedience and judgment. Let me say that again. Fear of man and lack of fear of God will lead to disobedience and judgment. Let's read on. It says in verse 6, it says, But Joshua, but Joshua and Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And then they go on to, to say in verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The application of, of what I wanted you to, to pull from this passage is that if we're reading God's Word, we remember the works that He has done, and it grows our faith. In other words, read God's Word and remember His great works and His faithfulness to His people. I've been reading in the Psalms for my devotions first thing in the morning, and um, I, I've read through Psalms many times before, but I, I want you to, to know that re recounting all of the, the songs that have been sung of God's magnificence and His 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 loving, his, his shelter. You know, Psalm 57 talks about, you know, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And under the shadow of your wings, my soul will, <laughs> I will dwell until these calamities have um, passed by me. So um, that was a test, wasn't it? Of the Mercy Broadcast Center. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, you know, we know that um, in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9, you know, talking about uh, remembering God's word, uh, it says, um, you know, in Joshua, God spoke to him and gave him a very wise thing, is that if you want to remember God, you, you want to remember to read his word. And that's the first thing that you want to remember. He said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Read God's word. Know God's word, and you will have peace 
that will transcend all understanding, that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And remember fellowship. What we're doing here tonight, coming to be with like-minded people, is so key to being able to understand God because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, it says that we more greatly understand God as we come together as a church. In other words, what God reveals to you as you're sharing with another one, and I hope you guys do talk about God while you're here, although it's great to talk about other things, but I want you to know that as a church, we more greatly understand God as we tell what God has done or what he has spoken in his words. See, God is so deep and so wide, none of us can know him in our finiteness, but as we come together, we can accumulate the knowledge and know more than we might know on our own. And it says it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, very, very clear, that we should consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, that we should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we should encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, Psalm uh, 95, verses 6 and 7, is a psalm that, you know, you can look up at a different time, a great psalm of talking about, you know, seeking God through prayer, you know, praying to him. And God gives us a great privilege that if we're a child of Jesus Christ, we get to come to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So you have access to God 24-7. The God who created all things has opened up a door that you might be able to come and partake of his goodness and his love and understand him. Psalm 119, verse 27 says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so, I sh- so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. See, as we meditate on God's word, like in Psalm 1, it says you're like a tree planted by streams of water, which will yield its fruit in due season. Whatever you do will prosper. That's what God's Word does. And that's what praying to God is. It's meditating, focusing on Him. And then there was the minority report. We look at in Numbers, we're going to just go back to Numbers 13.30. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up before uh, at once and take possession, for we are well well able to overcome it. And then also too in uh, 14.8, Remember what Caleb and Joshua said, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. You know, um, Caleb was that guy, um, he's the kind of guy who doesn't care what the crowd is saying, but rather he cares what God says. Are you like that? Are you in a crowd? Are you a leader or are you a follower? Has God spoken so deeply to your heart that you don't care what other people say, but you know what the right thing to do because God has spoken it to you? Know this, true faith in God's promise will bring blessing and God will always have a remnant of faithful men and women who will remain faithful and trustworthy to his word. It has always been the few who by prayer and faithfulness to have been able to uh, hold off God's full judgment. You know, in Numbers 14, Uh, verses 12 through 13, it says, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these uh, people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your, of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was un, not able to bring the people into the land which he swore to them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, and um, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven their people uh, from Egypt even until now. The principle is this. Well, uh, first, um, first Kings chapter 19, verse 18 um, we see not only did Moses stand in the gap here, or as the psalmist says, had he had, Moses not stood in the breach, God would have destroyed the children of Israel. God was giving Moses a really good situation here. He says, look, I'm going to kill all these guys, but I'm going to start back with you. And Moses was the meekest of all men. Even though, you know, for me, I might have said, well, that's pretty cool. I think I could do that. Uh, Moses was he always remembering God's character. And that's why God, um, you know, held off, is, is that, Moses wanted to honor God uh, rather than to honor himself. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, God said to Elijah, I have saved for myself 7,000 who have not bent their knees to Baal. And again, um, Elijah in that time thought he was alone. He was running from Jezebel. And God always, he always has a remnant. He always has a few of the faithful. And I bet you if I was to, 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 to see the future of you, I would see some of the faithful, and I know that there's a remnant here too. As to the count of how many of you are a remnant, is only up to your relationship with the Lord and who you are and how you let God in your life. But there's always a remnant. Whether you want to be or you want to be discounted, God will always have a remnant. You'll always have people uh, that are we're going to be willing to fight the good fight and to, to be called by his name. Joshua and Caleb heard God's promise and believed he would bring them to victory. The application is, where is your faith? Do you struggle against giants in your life, or do you serve a giant God? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves tonight. You know, um, there was a a book that was written, and... uh, it says when people are big and God is small. And I had gotten it when I was doing the school of ministry. And it talks about, you know, when we take what people say greater than what God says. And uh, if you're here tonight and you want to be serious about God, um, you don't worry about what people say. But rather worry about what the Word of God tells you to do. Because there's truth and there's iron. It's like a two-edged sword, the Bible says. You know, talking about faith, I, can, I can't talk about faith without talking about King David. You know, King David was one of those guys that uh, was a man after God's own heart. And God had done uh, amazing things through him. It didn't mean that he was perfect. It just meant that he was a man who was willing to take God at his word. And he trusted in God. And he knew that God was a big God. And it said that at one time, that uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17... He comes as a young boy bringing cheese and bread to his brothers, to the captains of the armies where his brothers, his older brothers were there, and they were all shaking in their boots over this giant, this giant guy, another one of like the, uh, 
uh, a, great, a man of great renown named Goliath, and he was a giant. And he was bigger than, than anybody uh, in that time. And he came out and defied the armies of God. And um, David walked up to him. And I love what, I love what, what it says in, in the passage. It's that he, they gave him all of this state-of-the-art equipment on him. And he's like, I can't move with this stuff. So he took it off. He got his staff. He got his sling. And it says, and, he, and I love what it says. He chose six smooth rocks from the river. I can I can imagine when he when he went down he went I'll take that one no I won't take that one that one won't go far enough that one see he had over years and years and years trusted God and God made him into a man of war even at his young age and he went up to Goliath and he stood there before him and he defied him and Goliath you know is, thinks that they've mocked him by doing that and he's very upset but here's what David said and I love this think about this. David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. See, he had a stone and he had a sling, but through years and years of God's provision and, and him saving him through many, many times. See, he, he was in, always in the battle, always in the battle with his sheep. His sheep were, were needing to be protected from the lion and from the bear. And so he had to learn to rely on God because I, I can't, you know, a bear is, is, is huge, but yet it says that he killed him. A lion, a lion is, is unbelievably uh, uh, vicious, and yet he was able to, to kill even a lion to save his sheep. Um, so when he came up against this giant, it was no big thing for him. He had learned that God is bigger than any giant that he had in his life. And God is bigger than any giant you have in your life. And you have to remember that. That's a big lesson that you guys have to learn. But what happens is we wind up forgetting about God because it's all being pushed aside or we forget because we're so busy about relationships or it's so, it, we get forgetful about God's provision in our lives because we're always playing it safe. You know, we come to church, we play the Christian thing, but we're not going to go out and evangelize. We're not going to go out and, and, and talk to a group of kids. They, they, they might not like us or whatever it is. But see, God, faith in God is knowing that he's going to fulfill what uh, he has said he's going to do. Who is Jesus to you? You know, some people might say he was a man. Some people might say he was a great man. Some people might say he was a prophet, but the Bible teaches that he is Lord, that he is God. He and the Father are one. And I want to know tonight, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, or rather, if you do know Jesus, do you truly believe that his blood has the power to transform your life? Do you truly believe that what happened on the cross was all that was necessary for you to have salvation? <clears throat> and what is salvation? Salvation is simply now you have access to God, as I had said before. You become one of his children. The Bible says that whoever believes and receives becomes children of God. And as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you from the dead as well. And that's the blessed hope. A.W. Tozer says that the most important question a person is ever going to be ever going to answer is who Jesus is to them. 
You know, if you're here tonight and you're not sure where you stand in the walk of salvation, if you're struggling with giants in your life that you're afraid to engage in battle, then I invite you to get to know this great God that I serve. And you can either talk to any of the leaders that are going to be on the outside after we finish tonight, but I want you to think about that question. You're in the time of your life where you are to, supposed to have a good time. It, it's, a, it's a fun time. You guys are alive. You guys are still on that, going up the, the arc where you're growing and you're maturing and, you're, you're, and everything is new and it's exciting. And, you know, being able to drive, being able to vote, being able to, 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 to serve our country if that's you know, what, what you, what you want to do. But, but you guys are kind of on the rise. Someone like me is on the kind of, I've lived it. I've, I've come up and now, now I'm starting to come down. Um, but... Um, you know, I, I want you to know that what I talk about is an extremely serious thing. See, we, we talk about Jesus, and we use his name, and we pray, but just as much as we do that, as I was talking with my daughter this morning, we also watch the internet. We get caught up in, in things on the phones. Uh, we get caught in sin. We get caught in, in looking at things that... that take us away, distracts us from where we need to be. And I'm not going to belabor the point, but I want you to know how serious it is. It was said earlier tonight that we're only one generation away from God being out of the picture. God has held his hand back, and I believe that we still have him holding his hands back, although some think that he has pulled his hand back from this country um, because of our, our positions uh, economically and, and, and militarily. But um, I want you to know that it's because of the few faithful. You know, are you one of the faithful? Are you want to be one of the faithful? You know? You know, God knows what you're going through. God knows he's known for even before you knew because he sees your whole life before you. And he never has asked you to fight the battle. He simply wants you to believe that he is able to bring the victory. He wants you to believe that he alone can bring you the victory. You know, I love, a lot of people say, you know, hey man, I'm looking at victory, man, I had great victory today. And I always tell them, you've always had victory. Remember, we're not striving to victory, we come from victory. Because Jesus died on a cross for your sins and mine. D.L. Moody wrote that true faith is when man's weaknesses lean on God's strength. Did you hear that? D.L. Moody wrote, true faith is when man's weaknesses lean on God's strength. In other words, it takes, it's taking God at his word and doing what he says to do. That's true faith. That's true faith. Do you have true faith? I would ask for an application for this this section right here, where is your faith? You know, are you struggling against giants in your life? Or do you serve a giant God? Are you struggling against giants in your life? Or do you serve a giant God? That book that I was telling you about was written by Edward Welch. The people refused to enter the land because of giants who lived there. You know, what are the giants in your lives? Okay, what do you say, Mr. King? What are you talking about? What, 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 what giants? There's no giants anymore. You know, um, what about the giant of sin? What about the giant of pornography? 
What about getting too close to your girlfriend or too close to your boyfriend, doing things you know are not right? What about same-sex attraction? You know? What about your body image? What about alcohol and drugs? You might say, you know what? I, I know for me there was a long time when um, I chewed tobacco, and I didn't think I was ever going to be able to, uh, to overcome it. I was doing two tins a week. I was putting it in my eyes, anywhere I could get it where it wouldn't hurt anymore because I had sores all in my mouth. And the thing is, is that in God, we are more than conquerors. It was through him and through a young man who uh, gave me the courage. You know, whatever your giants are, you know, your obstacles, whatever they are, you know, you can be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. God passes judgment on the children of Israel, but not fully. And we're going to see that it says here in verses 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your uh, entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would, ma- I would make you dwell in, but your little ones whom you would... Uh, who, who you, um, I'm sorry, said, would be victims, I will bring uh, them, and shall, uh, they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity against um, infidelity uh, until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Excuse me. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, uh, for, the, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, naming, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, uh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses told these words to the children of Israel, and to the people mourned, and, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. And Moses says, Why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you, def- you are defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you, but they were presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark nor the covenant of the Lord, um, nor Moses, departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites uh, who dwelt on the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So they presumed 
now, God had cast judgment and they were sorry. Um, but uh, God was not going to go with them. And um, they said, well, geez, now that we've sinned, okay, we'll go. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like that. You know, you get in trouble and, and uh, you know, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And, and then you get in trouble for it. And then you say, okay, I'll go and do it. And, and you're just grumbling and you have a bad heart. Well, in this case, God said, I'm not going to go with you and you're going to get defeated. And Moses tried to tell them, don't do it. Uh, you know, God's not going to be with you. You know, um, God has given, our, given us his word. And, uh, and he's been very clear uh, through this. That if you read this, you're going to know his heart. And you're going to know his will. You know, and... Uh, the application of, of what they went through and what they did and the grumbling and, and all that, the, the heartache that they were going to go through, um, I, I want you to know the application is simply believe. Let the eyes of your heart behold the majesty of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, you too have received a promise from God. Just as they received, Abraham received a promise that they were supposed to fulfill, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, New Testament, have received a promise from God. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's as simple as that. No matter what you're going through in your life, the Gospel tells us, and this is the cool thing, guys. Check this out. Look up here. The best is yet to come. No matter what you're going through now, you know, and some people, you'd be surprised, the person sitting next to you might be going something that they, you have no idea that they're going through. You know? They could be cutting, they could be, they could be doing things in secret because uh, they, have, they, they have no direction, they have no, um, their, their heart is, is become hardened. But I want you to know that the best is yet to come. You know, you might say, you know, what, is, what, what do I have to live for right now? And it's a shame, but some kids your age are thinking about that. I had one that thought about it, and he took it to the farthest point. And, uh, and we lost him at 17. He had lost hope. But the blessed hope is that the best is yet to come. And that's what we can all look forward to. Psalm 27, 14 says, To wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. You want to see God? Know that he's real? John chapter 14 tells us in verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, the Lord says, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Believe. Seek him. Obey him. He knows. He knows what you need. If you want to know God, obey his commands. Here's two words. Obey God and walk with Him daily, and you will know His peace and plan for your life. Deny God's word and power and promises for you, and you will wander this earth without ever truly knowing God's rest. Did you hear me? Know God's word. Obey Him, and you will have peace that will transcend all understanding. Because of their faith in God, Joshua and Caleb were only the only two out of the 12 spies to enter into the promised land. It's amazing that 12 went up. I can only imagine the 10 of them were like, you know, hey, what did you think? Well, you know, I'm afraid. You know, yeah, me too. I, I wasn't going to say anything. And, I, and all of a sudden, it's like wildfire went through. 
but Caleb and Joshua held to their faith in God. And, and, and you know, that's going to be you. You're going to have to make a stand at some point. You know? You're going to have to make a stand and you're going to have to trust God. You know, the others died by the hand of the Lord and never saw the promised land. The people who were 20 years and older died in the wilderness. Every time someone died, I can only imagine the younger generation must have remembered what they did. Over 40 years, every time somebody hit the dust, it was like, we rebelled. And you know what? I think that was probably one of, one of the best things that could have happened to them because the next generation was not going to make the same mistake. And the next generation was allowed to enter into the promised land with Joshua and Caleb leading them. And notice what they said, which was a different response from the children of Israel. It said, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Joshua chapter 1, verse 16. You know, will it take God's judgment in your life to bring your obedience? Is it going to take the death of other people watching our generation rot because we choose not to, to follow the Lord? I hope not. So, how can we enter into God's rest? I think in, in simple terms, it is believe on the Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Why did one whole generation perish in the desert? Unbelief. You know, tonight if you're listening to my words and had any inkling of, of thought to you, you know, anything that, wow, you know, some of those things were a little bit, you know, uncomfortable. That's the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit knocks on your heart. And I want you to know if you don't harden your heart and open the door of your heart, Jesus promises to come in and sup with you. But if you harden your heart, eventually the the knock is going to get softer and softer. Believe while God is knocking at your door. You know, God has a great, great life for you. If you are obedient to Him, and my life verse, Tori and I were talking about it this morning, you know, Joshua 29, man, if you don't know it, learn it. You know? Joshua 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You know, that's our God. That's our God. Will you be someone who takes God at His word and believes? Will you please take God at His word and believe Him tonight? Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for just the blessing that You are and the the blessing that uh, Your word gives. I thank You for these two chapters that they show us what to do and what not to do. They show you the outcome of disbelief and they show you the outcome of true faith. And I pray tonight, Father, for those that are here, for each of these 
these kids, that they would get real with you. No one has been promised tomorrow. And we see every day where accidents and and people leave this earth unsuspecting, not not expecting, getting up and, and leaving home and never making it back. It's an uncertain world that we live in. And we have right now, right now, God, to to open our hearts to receive You and believe You and to know that our future is set and and, and it's, and it's, it's sure, it's guaranteed. For the One who gives us the guarantee has never lied and He never dies. And He's got a book that He writes in Your name. And that book, Father, is the Word of Life the book of life. And we ask, Father, that if there's any here tonight that uh, don't know You, well, would You, would you prompt them to want to know you? Will, you? will You pierce their heart? Will You prick it, Lord? Your Word says that there are two stones, two, two hearts in Ezekiel. And You said that uh, I'm going to replace that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And we pray that that would happen tonight. We pray that there be a fresh filling of your Spirit upon everyone who is here. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. I, I am grateful for everyone who was here and was so patient in, in the teaching tonight. May you bless them for that. And I do thank them. Thank you for them. So go before us tonight as we uh, break up into small groups, um, as we get ready to just share um, any thoughts about tonight. Um, But Father, we are grateful, so we just ask you tonight um, that you would uh, be glorified and uh, that you would release us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.